My name is Kayla Omadayo. And my name is Teresa Corbin. And this is the Islamwich Podcast. You are listening to the Islamwich Podcast, where we discuss all things Muslim, all things American, and everything in between. What we want to talk about today is this whole issue of patience. And if you know, someone knows the Arabic word, it, it was called sabr, and sabr means um, more than just, you know, the English understanding of patience. One of the beautiful things about the Arabic language is that, you know, a word in Arabic can have such a deep meaning, and it might take four or five English words to explain the depth of this one Arabic word. So, Teresa, why don't you tell us a little bit more about what sabr actually means in Arabic? Sabr is a kind of patience that is not only like, I think a lot of people relate patience to just doing nothing, right? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just going to sit here for something to stop happening. And in Arabic, the word sabr is, is more active than that, I, I think. Um, sabr means, you know, you're doing something for a long time, hoping for a result. Don't give up because your results are from Allah. And um, I think that in that, is, that way, it's, it has a bigger difference than English, that sabr is more like perseverance and trust, trust in Allah. Yeah, definitely. This this word patience or, or sabr in Arabic, it can be used in a number of different circumstances. And there's actually uh, a really excellent book that I recommend. It's a free ebook that you can find online. It's called Patience and Gratitude. And for the life of me right now, I don't know the name of the author, but that will be in the show notes, the link to that uh, ebook where you can download it yourself as well. And it's all about what patience actually means in a deeper context. And one of the things I love is that the author talks a lot about how patience is very different than let passive acceptance. It's very different than that. And that there are different levels, actually, of patience. There's the kind of patience where you endure it, but you feel a lot of contempt for the situation. There's there's a wow. higher level of that where you're more than just enduring it. You're coming to kind of accept your circumstances. And then beyond this, is a situation where you actually experience a level of contentment with your situation. And even beyond this, a level of gratitude for your hardship. So uh, there's many different levels, actually, of sabr, in, 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 according to the Arabic explanation. And I like that you mentioned earlier that it's not just sitting around doing nothing. It, it implies a lot of action. So tell me a little bit about, you know, your understanding of how someone would take action in a situation where they feel kind of powerless to actually fix the problem that they're stuck in. But one thing that we talked about and we wanted to talk about in this podcast is being in an abusive relationship, especially for um, women who are feel powerless to do anything to get out or to fix the relationship. Patience in that respect specifically does not mean to put up with it and, you know, hope that it, it stops and, you know, just be grateful, blah, blah, blah. That is absolutely not what the spirit of Islam tells us because we shouldn't harm others or allow others to harm us. So patience in that context would be seeking seeking a way to resolve it, but at the same time not like doing the haram. Can you give an example of what you mean by doing the haram? Like retaliating. Um, don't go around like trying to sabotage your relationship so that you can get out of it. I think also what you mentioned, retaliation in general, is just always a bad idea. Not only because it's haram, but it's it's really not good for your own soul. 
that kind of hate carrying around inside of you that gives you the energy to retaliate against someone, even if it's an abusive husband, it only poisons your own heart. It doesn't really help you. It doesn't help the situation. And, you know, there's this wonderful quote that really motivated me during a time in my life where I felt really powerless and I was stuck in an abusive marriage. And the quote is from Steve Maraboli in his book, Life, the Truth and Being Free. And he says, incredible change happens in your life when you decide to take control of what you do have power over instead of craving control over what you don't. I'll just read that again. Incredible change happens in your life when you decide to take control of what you do have power over instead of craving control over what you don't. And to me, this was really, you know, really powerful because a lot of women and myself included feel really trapped in abusive relationships for whatever reason. And there's a slew of reasons they can feel trapped. Um, and, and they feel kind of helpless to remedy the situation. Many of them have tried, you know, on their own side to fix their marriage and, you know, their efforts have failed for one reason or another. And so for me, I came to a point in my life where I was like, you know what? I can't leave him right now and I can't endure the pain that I'm going through. So I'm going to have to transcend this pain one way or another. So I started to change a lot of the things about my own life. I started to change the way I was eating, what I was watching, what I was listening to, the level of exercise I was getting, the the kind of people I kept around my life. I increased my energy in doing the things that I love to do and tried to avoid contempt for the things I didn't love about my life, I guess is a good way to put it. So what? why do you think it is that a lot of women who feel trapped in abusive marriages the advice that's given to them is, you know, just be patient, sister, or, you know, have sabr. Why do you think this is the advice given to them by a great many uh, Muslim sheikhs? Um, I think it, it might be just kind of like a passing of the book. It, it seems overwhelming for them to take on a woman's situation and advise her to do, you know, go seek outside help, go to a relief or go to the authorities, etc., I think that, you know, they will they will feel more responsibility if they tell her to do that because, you know, leave your husband if he's abusing you, you know, then, oh, chef, you know, what now? I've, I've left my husband, et cetera. And, and, you know, that is their responsibility to take care of these women, to guide them to these resources. But I think they just want to shirk it. I don't know, you know. Mm-hmm. It is a very good question. Maybe they really do think that that is the solution is to just be patient, but absolutely not. That is the worst possible advice you can give a woman who's being abused. Or even if the man is being abused in a relationship and that happens sometimes with yeah, a wife is abused. It really does. You know, either, you know, you need to seek therapy and find out why they're displaying their anger in this way or just leave them and get a divorce and, you know, seek social services if you don't have the financial stability to do that. But, and this is the patient that we need to seek. Not be patient with it because nothing is going to change. An abuser is going to be an abuser if we enable them. And that is exactly what these scholars are doing. They're just enabling it. Absolutely. And, you know, there's another, I think, reason that this happens a lot. And I think that it really comes down to a misunderstanding of the concept of qawamun in Arabic. If you're not familiar with that, it comes from the, the Quran, directly from the Quran, from the words of Allah wherein Allah says that he has placed men as qawamun over women. And so men, a lot of men who, you know, want to be abusers, or even those who are just sympathizers with abusive men, 
They like to believe that this concept of Qawamun means he's essentially the king of your life. He orders, you obey. You don't question, you do exactly as he says, um, and, 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 and you do it with a smile on your face, and you show him the utmost respect at all times. Because why? Because he protects you, because he provides for you, etc., etc. Now, this is a really widely misunderstood concept, but unfortunately, in a situation where a woman is being abused in one way or another, and we're going to talk about that in a second here, the various different kinds of abuse, in one way or another, she approaches someone seeking help. She has the courage to go out and seek help. And if this man has a belief that because a man is qawamun over his wife, this means he is allowed to treat her any way he likes and she should accept it, that's the advice he's going to give her. There's also a widely misunderstood concept in the Muslim community nowadays, especially in America, which again was imported with, you know, Muslims who came to America from other places and brought their cultural ideas, which a lot of times are not in line with Islam, unfortunately, into this picture. So maybe for them, they have this idea that the Akira is better than the dunya. For example, this is the one I've heard a, m a bunch of times. Women who are suffering in their marriages, who are, who tell themselves, if I just remain patient and keep our family together, keep our family unit together, then Allah is going to reward me in the Akira. And they just, they can't be more wrong. And, you know, I just want us to sort of discuss here a little bit, what's wrong with staying in an abusive marriage? Like, why? Why, why shouldn't these women stay? Well, because the Prophet tells us not to, to help our brothers if they are the oppressed or the oppressor. Mm. And the companions asked, how do we help the oppressor? The Prophet told them to forbid him or stop him from oppressing, and that will be the help for him. So we can't allow ourselves to be in oppressive situations. We have to do the sabr, do the perseverance and patience to remove ourselves from oppressive situations because this, this is not the way we, you know, this life is not like supposed to be horrifying and, you know, always on eggshells and so on. Sometimes we have these tests, but we need to seek to remove ourselves from oppressive situations and to keep our brothers and sisters from oppressing others. And if you're staying in an abusive relationship to the patient seeking the Akhara, you're you're enabling an oppressor. And I mean I know I know it is difficult for women in these situations and they're thinking, yeah, it's easy to say, you know, my father was an abuser, a horrible abuser. He was an alcoholic and he had tirades every night. And we lived with him, you know, for years and years and years like this. My mother never had a divorce. She never sought help. She did seek help, but there was really no financial situation where she could leave because she had so many children. There were six of us. Mm. So I know what it's like and hearing it from other people. Oh, just leave your abuser. But no, like see if there's counseling. See if there's some way. You know, find a way. Be creative to stop the suppression. Stop your husband. If you, you know, this is your husband. Help him for this life and the other. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what women don't take into consideration is the reality that people who are oppressed become oppressors. It's just a fact. It's a fact well-researched that children who come from abusive households end up themselves either becoming abusers or accepting further abuse into their lives and the lives of their children and so on and so forth. And this kind of suffering that children go through watching their parents suffer in marriage together, it, it has extremely 
you know, powerful psychological effects on them. It teaches them what marriage is supposed to be like, which in, you know, these cases involves most of the time. We don't mean to downplay the fact that women can also be very abusive in various ways to their husbands, but it involves most of the time a woman suffering at the hands of her husband, teaching her daughters that this is the way they should be treated and this is how they should endure and teaching their sons it's okay to to, to treat women this way. And I think one of the problems that one of the one of the misunderstandings, as I said earlier, that has kind of infiltrated our our communities is this idea that having a broken, dysfunctional marriage that's still technically a marriage is somehow better than having a divorce, and and that that cannot be further from the truth. Um, you yeah. know, and and I I know a woman, for example, whose mother is a convert, and her father is from a Middle Eastern country. We'll say. And she grew up in America. She and her brothers grew up in America with her mother and her father. And they lived a very typical American lifestyle, although Muslim. Her mother, as I said, was a convert. And then, for no apparent reason, when my friend was a teenager, her dad decided it was time to go back to his country because he didn't want his daughter to be raised in America. So he took her whole family um, back to his country, wherein he became a tyrant. He just devolved into abusive tirades, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, verbally abusive to everyone in his family. And, you know, when I was going through my hardship, my friend's mother pleaded with me through my friend to leave my husband. And, you know, she told me that she had unfortunately made the choice to stay. And at this point in her life, at her age, she just didn't have anyone to support her to, to escape the situation she was in trapped in a foreign country. And so you hear a lot of people saying, it's haram to advise women to divorce their husbands. And I think that in most situations, it is. So, for example, you and your husband are fighting, you know, arguing with each other in a typical, healthy, normal marriage. And you make the mistake of complaining to a friend. She should, if she loves you, should not advise you to divorce your husband. Because, you know, normal problems happen in all marriages. And, and you know, they're going through economic hardship, for example. Don't advise your friend to divorce her husband. You know, your wife can't get pregnant. Don't advise your friend to divorce his wife. I mean, no. these are obvious situations where where the answer is, in this situation, sabr in the, in, the, in the sense of remaining in the marriage and trying hard to make it work and fix any problems that it might be coming up. But no. when it is obvious that one partner, whomever that partner is, is abusing and hurting or neglecting the other partner in the marriage and has become an oppressor on that person, I believe it's our obligation to advise our friend to do everything they can to escape that situation in whatever way they can. And I think that that might not be a popular opinion, but I think that's the right, the, the best thing, you know, uh, for for a Muslim or for anyone really who's being oppressed. Absolutely. I want to make two points that, you know, I was talking a bit about my parents. One thing my mother did that was phenomenally impactful in my life was to be open about the dysfunctionality of her marriage to mm-hmm. her, to me and to my sisters and brothers. She would tell us, this is not normal. This is not how a relationship works. I would like to leave, but can't, you know, these kind of things like this behavior is unacceptable from your father, so on and so forth. So I knew growing into adulthood and looking for marriage and looking for my own partner and even being in a marriage that 
no, like my mother never normalized that. Most families don't do that. They kind of sweep it under the rug and mm-hmm. make it seem like this is acceptable, et cetera, for the children. And if you're in a relationship where you absolutely can't leave and you can't seek any other kind of help, don't normalize the behaviors your children. Do not be in denial about it. Make sure your children know that this is not acceptable. This is not what they should want for their life, you know, so on and so forth. And that was hugely helpful to me that my mother did that. Mm, that's really, that's really powerful. Mashallah, that's really, that was good of her to have done that. And I just want to make a quick point to those people who don't have children, because some people are trapped in abusive marriages, not because of their kids. Maybe they're trapped because, you know, again, financial situation. Maybe they're trapped because they feel they don't have the self-esteem, uh, the self-confidence to believe that they deserve better. And and I think that exactly what you've just said about not normalizing abuse to your children, we can't normalize abuse to ourselves. We can't convince ourselves that this is okay, or even worse than that, that God is all right with it. Allah is always on the side of the oppressed one. Allah is always on the side of justice. And there are so many mentions in the Quran and in authentic ahadith about what Allah will do to people who oppress other people. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala always answers the dua of one who is being oppressed. And so, I mean, I remember that was, you know, sort of my lifeline during my abusive relationship was just crying out to Allah when I was in sujood, in, you know, with my face on the ground in this position of prayer, just begging God, please, to save me from my oppressive situation and and, and begging God to, you know, to give me justice. And alhamdulillah, really, Allah has done that for me. Um, You said you had two points to make. What was your second point? My other point is a message to men. Um, I don't know the last time you checked the definition of a protector, but usually that's not a blank slate pass to do anything you want. Like, for example, if you you see bodyguards, they're usually in the employment of someone else, right? Mm. So your employment is to Allah, to protect your women, to provide for them. There isn't no way a blank slate to do whatever you please. You know, and, and there are a lot of really great men who understand this role because it is a role of servant. You're servant to the family. You're a servant to Allah first. You're a servant in this role. You're not a servant to your wife, and the wife is not a servant to her husband. We're, we all serve Allah. So I don't understand, how, and I see this time and time again, whenever man's rights are mentioned in Quran or Hadith, it's like expanded beyond belief. Like it is, It's amazing. Like, how did we come from protector to dictator? Tyrant, Tyrant yeah. Dictator. You know, not and not all people who understand this as free reign leader of a of a woman interpret it as tyrant, but you know, some do unfortunately. Um mm-hmm. so I don't I don't understand how that got to be that way. Um again, I think a lot of it came from just culture. A lot of it came from whether it's American culture, because we can't act like there aren't American guys who abuse their women. That's that's obvious. It comes from all culture. You know, unfortunately, it is still in 2016. Men are just generally stronger. They have more power in the patriarchies across the world. Yeah, that's true. They have more privilege and capability to remove themselves from situations. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about the differences between the various types of abuse and how all of them still count for abuse. But for now, Teresa's tip. 
So for this podcast, I would like to talk about the benefits of smiling, especially when you are a Muslim living in a non-Muslim land. Um, and we throw this, this hadith around that smiling is an act of charity and the Prophet smiles so often. But, you know, I see it day in, day out, Muslims walking around with a scowl on their face. Like, what is this doing for us? This is absolutely doing nothing for us. Like, you think this is going to scare people off? That's exactly the opposite of what we want or what we need to happen. So, like, through my day-to-day life, I'm probably one of maybe four hijabis who live in my uh, suburban town outside of New Orleans. And so people know me. They notice me wherever I go. And people are always leaving me. This is understandable because I'm an anomaly. So I've noticed a difference. Like, some days I have a bad day because I'm a human being. And all I just feel like, ugh, walking around like everything's the worst, blah, 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 because I'm so dramatic. But... On those days, people react to me really badly, and I've noticed that when I'm in a good mood and I smile at people and I interact with them, that everyone is so super nice, like they're even interested or even start our conversations with me. So that's my tip for this podcast: is just have a good look on your face, like be ha- be happy, you know, show people your best appearance, smile at people, engage people, like hi, how are you doing, you know, whatever, whatever you think to say to them. Give them a smile and a good word. This is this is part of our faith. Brothers, stop walking around with your big beards and your scowls. And sisters, stop mean-mugging people. Like, I see this all the time. Sisters in hijab, like, black, head to toe, just mean-mugging people. I'm like, what is the benefit of that? You're identifiably Muslim, and people are going to gauge Islam on their interaction with you. That is That is what's happening, period, whether or not you like it. I just I just published something about this on Facebook yesterday about I, I long for the day, I have a dream of the day that I'll be judged for being a bad mom and not for being a Muslim bad mom. <laughs> like, I'm just a bad mom who happens to be Muslim. But I do the right. same thing. No, I want- you're not a bad mom, but I get what you're saying. Like, sometimes we, we have bad days and sometimes we do things shittily. Or, and we're, that's just because we're human beings. But that's not perception. But it's not mm-hmm. like one to two percent of the population. So everyone you come in contact with, especially in small towns like in the South that you and I live in, that mm-hmm. we are their representation of Islam. And I know that many people I've met personally who said, you know, you've changed my entire outlook on who Muslims are because I never met a Muslim before. And 65 percent of people say, and I might be quoting that specific wrong, but it's the majority of Americans that they've never met a Muslim and they have an unfavorable view. Yeah, I think it was I think it was 64% actually. And yeah, you're right. It was an unfavorable view. It is a lot of pressure. I feel myself, for example, I walk on a major road um most of the week to get my son from school and I have my little baby in a stroller. And he acts as a kind of buffer because it's like people have a hard time attacking someone who's got a baby with them. I don't know. And and also I think that they assume that like if I had plans to be destructive, I wouldn't bring a toddler with me. <laughs> Right. I think right. that that's. I, I never have that buffer. Like I don't have a kid. Like it's just me. Exactly. It's just me, it's just me and, a, and a happy look on my face, even if I'm having a hard day. And you know what? To tell you the truth, if I am having a hard day and I go out with a smile on my face, it really brightens up my mood because people react so well to it. Like I've made so many friends just with a coffee shop or just with Target. Even the people in the gas station, like, "Hey, how you doing?" Blah blah. blah. And I'm not an outgoing person by a long stretch. Mm-hmm. Like I was a shy person growing up, but. Knowing that I'm representing my face and going out there to smile and just saying hi to people, 
has, has you know, it, it works wonders. I can tell that. You know, I want to address the women who are asking themselves right now, but is it really abuse? Like, he doesn't hit me. I mean, he pays the bills. Like, is it really abuse? I would say that it's abuse if you feel abused. Does Do you feel like you're suffocating? Do you feel like your opinion is not, has no grounding whatsoever in your life? Do you feel like your liberties are being taken from you? Are you told who you can and cannot speak to? Are you told where you can and cannot go? Not in the sense of, I want to protect you and genuinely, you know, don't go to that bad neighborhood because it's dangerous, but rather don't go visit that friend because I don't like her, for example. Don't go visit your family. If a man tries to stop you from visiting your family, he doesn't love you. Like, it is your responsibility as a Muslim to maintain a healthy relationship with your family to the best of your ability. And if your husband stops you from seeing your family for no other reason except that he wants to stop you, that's abuse. And, you know, emotional abuse. Let's talk about gaslighting. Let's talk about a guy, you know, saying this or that or this to you. And then later when you confront him, hey, but you said X, Y, Z, he says, no, I never said that to the point that you feel like you have to start recording all your conversations on video or audio to prove to him that he said the things that you know that he said, you know, crazy. Yeah. Uh, lying to you about where he's going, lying to you about where he's been, lying to you about where the money's going, for example. You know, you have to have an open, honest relationship. And and I understand that, you know, around the world in various different cultures, because we have people listening to this podcast, mashallah, in different parts of the world, there's a different understanding of who should handle the money and how should the money be managed and so on and so forth. But in general, if your husband is blatantly lying to you, about where the resources are going, that's a pretty good sign that he's oppressing you in one way or another. If your husband calls you names, if he calls you names and he's any, he, any, he, you know, maybe he'll laugh it off later. Uh huh. I was just joking. Well, did it hurt you? If you tell him that it hurts and he continues, this is abuse. I mean, it, 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 it can get from the smallest things to the biggest obvious things, like if he's hitting you. And, you know, I had a friend as well who has several children who was, you know, married a man when she was really young. He was a non-practicing Muslim when they got married. And then the two of them became practicing Muslims together. Um, And, you know, basically he was extremely abusive to her and all her children. And when I knew her, I didn't actually know he was being abusive. I knew he was kind of a jerk, but I didn't realize the extent of it until later. But having known later about that, I saw And understood why many of the things that I witnessed in her family life seemed so off. The fact that all her children called each other idiots and told each other that they were stupid and worthless. And I thought to myself, why are children talking to each other like this? And and why isn't she, you know, stepping in and saying, don't talk to your sibling like that, for example. And I realized it's because that's the way their father was talking to their mother and talking to them. And they had come to accept that this was normal. And I just can't emphasize enough how important it is to realize that this idea of stay together for the kids is just baloney. It's just crap. It it really is. Kids all over the world grow up to be healthy, functional, you know, emotionally well-balanced adults having come from homes where, okay, yes, divorce happened, but mom and dad 
finally were able to treat one another with respect and dignity after that divorce versus how they acted in the marriage, you know? Now, as a child of an abusive relationship, I prayed all the time that my parents would be divorced just mm-hmm. to be away from that abuse, just for my mother to have some kind of, you know, um, respite from this man, just for us to have some quiet at night. Absolutely. You know, just, uh, uh, you know, kids don't want to be in those kinds of situations. They understand they should, hopefully, if you tell them it's not normal. Um, you know, and I also want to address kind of the idea, and I myself had this idea as well, that, okay, what if I divorce? What then? Will will I ever be able to get remarried? Will I ever find a man who can be good to my kids? Maybe you tell yourself, my husband might be a bad husband, but he's an excellent father. I am sorry, but that is logically impossible. That is exactly what I told myself. And the reality is that our main responsibility as parents is not feeding, clothing, and playing with our children. These are necessary things we have to do for them. But anyone can do that. You can pay someone to do those things. Literally, you can pay someone to do those things. What you can't pay someone to do is to raise your children to become good good people with good character who experience the love and attention of their parents. You can't pay someone else to do that. And our core responsibility is to model good character to our kids, whether by acting in a way we should or by making sure they understand when we make bad choices that we understand they were bad choices and advise our children to do differently with their lives. So I think that this idea that he's a bad husband but a good father just completely ignores the fact that one of the core responsibilities of being a good father is to teach your children what a good husband looks like. So teach your daughters what to expect. Teach your sons how they should treat their daughters. Make sure your sons know that if you ever hear about them abusing their wives, they're going to get it from you. I mean, we have a great responsibility. The reality of it really is that men, as as a as a I mean, as a sex, as a gender, have a responsibility that Allah mentions in the Quran of being qawamun. So brother X has a responsibility in front of Allah to look out for the well-being of Sister Y, who is neither his sister nor his daughter nor his wife. A woman who is also a Muslim has the right to be protected in a situation where she needs protection from whatever Muslim brother happens to be available. So, I mean, available like nearby, you know, or, or able to help the situation. So, you know, men having this idea, you know, in Islam, there are two kinds of fard, which means, you know, required or some people call it wajib, meaning it is you must do it. So one example would be, you know, the, the prayer, the salah. This is required. Fasting in Ramadan, this is required. Okay, these are, you must do these things or you're not a Muslim. Paying the zakat is required. The oblig- obligatory charity is required. Okay, there's also something called fardu kifaya, which means the responsibility of the entire ummah. Like, not only an individual person has the responsibility, but Overall, the entire community of Muslims have a responsibility to do a few things. One of them is to disseminate the message of Islam. We have an ultimate communal obligation to disseminate the true message of Islam, for example. And men have an ultimate communal obligation as men to look out for the well-being of women. And, you know, this is one problem that converts suffer a lot with, not having fathers or guardians or brothers to kind of keep their husbands in line when they're being abused. So, you know, back to the concept of sabr. 
we know, I, I certainly know from my own experience how hard it is to leave an abusive situation for a hundred different reasons, whether it be financial, very real, you know, reality that it takes money to survive. And if the man is refusing to provide for you or provide for his children, well, then you really have to have a backup, whether it be your own money from your own work or savings or family or friends willing to assist you. Yeah, that's a real problem. There's also, again, fear that you won't find someone better or someone as good in some ways. There's the fear of the public scrutiny that you're going to go through. A lot of reasons women feel afraid to leave. But in the concept of patience, I just want to point out that there is nothing noble about sticking around because you think that it's better to just you know, maintain family ties, as it were, with your husband. It takes more patience to leave than it takes to stay. Because the reality is, if you stay, you figured out basically how to avoid his abuse to the, to the you know, the best ability that you have. So you don't defend yourself, you don't get in his way, you don't ask for too much, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so that's like, that's a known problem. You understand how to deal with it and you're able to kind of avoid it as much as possible, right? But leaving is a whole world of unknowns and that requires a level of patience you will never know if you stay. So the concept that staying in an abusive relationship is about this noble quality of being patient and, and, and having endurance is just silly. It takes a great deal more patience and endurance to leave and to try to make a new path. I, if anyone knows, what a hard thing that is. After my divorce from an abusive man, I was a single mother of four in Egypt, a foreign country, without a father or a brother or a friend or any males to help me in a patriarchal country. It was hell in a handbasket. <laughs> so nobody's saying it's easy by any means. And, and you know, we don't want to sort of make women feel like we're insensitive to the reality of how hard it is. But at the end of the day, you've got to come to the understanding that you deserve better as, as a creation of Allah, as a woman, and your children deserve better than watching that kind of, you know, suffering. Absolutely. And, you know, on the Day of Judgment, we have to demand our rights now. We have to help our brothers and sisters from doing these evil things because Allah will ask them, where were your rights? Why didn't you get your rights? And then they'll go to the people who owed you those rights. Why didn't you give them the rights? And we don't, you know, if, if we want our, the fathers of our children or even the mothers of our children to answer to that, we need to address that now. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you know, I think just a final thought here regarding this is just the reality that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, it does say, Allah says in the Quran, yani Allah, Allah is with those who are patient. And and I think I just want to remind our listeners that Allah is intimately aware of the path that he has planned for you. Allah had this plan that you would meet and marry this man who's hurting you. He arranged the entire thing and it happened according to a wisdom that only Allah has. And it might be because your children are going to grow up to be incredible human beings and it was just required that this man be their father. It might, there's any number of reasons that we'll never understand, maybe, you know, inshallah and Jannah, why we had to go through this hardship. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the perfect plan. And I like to tell my husband often now, you know, I'm so grateful for the terrible situation that I was in. It made me all the more just grateful to Allah for the, for the goodness that I have now. 
Um, so there's there's any plethora of reasons why this hardship may have come upon you, but Allah is with you and Allah sees what you're going through and Allah will not leave you. He will not abandon you to whatever it is you fear, um, whether it be poverty or, or loneliness or, you know, something along those lines. And that's all the time we have for today, folks. Thanks for stopping by and checking out our podcast. Follow us on the upper right hand of the page. Yes, take your eyes up to the right. Click there, follow us. Email us at islamic at yahoo.com if you have a question or just want to say hey. Like our face with your face on Facebook, facebook.com slash islamic. Tumble with us on Tumblr, tune with us on Pinterest, and follow us on Twitter at islamic. Like this podcast, share it, pin it, comment on it, and or do whatever social media magic it is that you prefer. Find out more about us on the understandably named About page and browse other posts and podcasts in the table of contacts.